Why, hello there, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. You know, as much as I love bringing you this content and these conversations, the fact is, it's very time-consuming, and um, given YouTube's penchant, if you will, for uh, demonetizing my most popular videos, let's just say the ad revenue aspect is... Uh, very, very desperately paltry. As such, I'm forced to shift the grift into higher gear, uh, as I would prefer to keep producing this content and also to not be homeless. With that in mind, donations and tips are greatly appreciated. If you use PayPal, you can hit me up at Clifton A. Duncan. If you hate PayPal, and I know why you do, uh, you can use Venmo. You can Venmo me at Clifton Duncan Entertainment. You can also cash at me at cash tag. That's very clever. Cash tag Clifton Duncan Art. If every one of you watching this video gave even $1, it would go such a long way, even in this economy. Uh, with your patronage, I could, uh, well, A, keep a roof over my head, but also finally hire some assistants, upgrade my equipment, and uh, focus on what I really want to be doing, which is reading, researching, writing, and producing new, fresh art from a deeply experienced and highly expressive, uh, unique talent that, for whatever reason, just can't keep his damn mouth shut. Uh, so I thank you so much for your support. You are the fuel that keeps me going, even in these dark and turbulent times. And uh, without further ado, on with the show. Hello there, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for yet another fascinating conversation that lives at the nexus of art, entertainment, culture, and society. However you're consuming this podcast, please leave me a like or a review or a comment. I'm really pushing to grow the podcast and the YouTube channel this year, so I would deeply appreciate you if you subscribed. Um, I am now on Apple Podcasts, by the way. I finally got my act together, so make sure to leave some positive reviews there. We've got nothing but five-star reviews on Spotify. Uh, you're all amazing. Thank you so much. I promise that nobody was paid for any of that. Um, also, if you're unaware, I'm verified on Rumble. I have exclusive content there that you can't find anywhere else on topics that are frankly too hot for YouTube, uh, which has been really, really aggressive with the um, demonetization uh, banhammer uh, lately. So sign up there and uh, hit me up on Locals while you're at it. Lastly, you can do me a huge favor, help me grow this community by sharing this video as much as humanly possible. If you love it, share it with your friends. And as always, if you hate it, why then share it with your enemies? Now, all that said, you know, we live in an era where sociopolitical tensions in the United States, um, especially around issues involving race, are at a fever pitch. And so many aspects of our lives today have become so politicized that you can't even enjoy sports without being preached to or propagandized in some manner and reminded of the issues. And it also seems to me that morale in and about America is at an all-time low, and people are becoming more and more divided and demoralized as it seems like the American dream, the American ideal, is dying. 
Well, if you're feeling that way, I need you to turn that frown upside down because I think that the following conversation might just provide you not only with a bit of perspective, but even a glimmer of hope, dare I say. Uh, my guest today is a French-born professional photographer and journalist. He, in fact, recently became a U.S. citizen in 2021, so welcome and congratulations. Um, he independently covers major sports events around the world. In fact, he shot sports on four continents. His work has been published internationally, and he regularly works with agencies, major agencies in the Europe and the U.S., and you may not believe this because, uh, as we all know, Black, in fact, do not crack, uh, but he has spent 16 years photographing the NBA, which has to be one of the coolest jobs ever, and we'll definitely talk about that. And finally, on top of all of that, um, I, I rarely get jealous about these kinds of things, but uh, the man's sense of style is uh, off the chain, and, and he has a really hot wife. I told her that I would remind him um, of this fact. Uh, my friends, this is the impeccably Afroed uh, Chris Elise. Uh, bonjour, monsieur. Comment allez-vous? Bonjour. Thank you for the introduction. I love it. I, I'm going to need to use it. I'm going to like play to my wife like every single night before sex. <laughs> a, French, a, a French man talking about sex. We're, we're only two minutes into this conversation. <laughs> How am I not surprised? That is hilarious. But uh, yeah, you're married to a, a lovely woman named Gigi Levine, who was an author. And, um, and you know, I, Levenji. I Levenji. Oh, Levenji. Oh, ooh. <laughs> ooh, that's uh, we're, we're going to edit that part out. But, uh, you know, it's funny because I, I follow her on, on Instagram. I follow you both on Instagram. And, uh, you know, she's always posting pictures of, of the two of you and of your beautiful children. Um, it's like, gosh, it's like you're doing it's like you're doing everything correctly in, in, in life. You got a, a, a really cool job, a great career. Um, you know, you've seen the world, you have a beautiful wife and just a, a wonderful family. It's like you've 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 you're like winning the game of life right now, man. Like, so congratulations on that. Thank you. I'm I'm very grateful for everything, but it has been like a long road at the same time. And I, I, I did my share of mistake and I didn't get this. Like, I'm very happy and very lucky and grateful for what I have with uh, Gigi and my family. Uh, but it, it took me some uh, growing up and maturity to get to this. Well, how are you defining maturity in this aspect, in this context? Uh, it, uh, always been really accountable for your own mistake and for your own sins and for your own failures, not, 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 not finding any excuses and having the will, having the will and the understanding like to, to be happy or to get better for yourself. It's most, it's all about you. I would say mostly, but it's all about yourself. So when you kind of like, okay, even if I miss some opportunity, even, even door, are closed people say no to job opportunity to anything it's it's still about you you still have another day to live as long as you have another day to live you have another day to work on something you have another day to try and uh and, and then you get to the point like you you feel like you own you you have the control of your own life you know mm. and it's not about Anything else, anything else, it's it's factors in your life. Did you grow up with money? Did you grow up without money? Did you have like both parents, etc.? Challenges, challenges and factor. But you can you can do with anything the life uh, throw at yourself, at you. You know, it's uh, it's such a wonderful message, especially I feel like for right now, you know, it's I, I go through Twitter, which, you know, it's it's not uh, the best place to be anyway, but 
you know, the news, it's all bad. There's international conflicts and, and disease and economic turmoil and all this uh, strife and tension. And, uh, you know, and it's funny because for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a Scorpio. So there's definitely a lot of sort of uh, fiery broodiness in me. And also as, as an artist, I think as well, um, my temperament, um, you know, can be somewhat volatile, but, you know, and I, and I can tend to veer towards pessimism and cynicism, but I also feel like I'm getting to a place, maybe that's part of my maturity, is that um, it's not very useful. Mm -hmm. And especially with what I've been through over the past few years, it's, it's you know, you can't really, it's like it's becoming water under the bridge, which is sort of a relief in a way, you know what I mean? And and uh, so I, I love this idea of of not, um, you know, owning up to your mistakes and realizing that, but also not being too mired in, in all that stuff. But uh, I want to start with, because the people who don't know who you are, and I, and I, I apologize in advance because, uh, you know, because you've talked about this ad nauseum in other places, but um, sure. I, but I, 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 I just have to, you know, just for people who don't know you, can you just give a, a brief sort of synopsis of who you are and where you came from and, and your story? Because I know you, you started out, you know, you're doing like an IT job and then yeah. you moved into... Um, and then you moved into photography and not just photography, but photography for like this internationally recognized league where you're like, you know, photographing stars, which is an unbelievable journey. So I have to know about that. Yeah, it all, all comes about. So uh, like to sum up, I was born in, uh, in, in 1971. I was born in a medium city in France. And if I do the short story and I try always because I talk too much, my wife will tell you all the time. Uh, <laughs> basically, uh, uh uh, I love America since I was a kid, like classic, like TV show and movie and the cowboy fantasy, etc. So deep inside me, I had this fantasy and this dream of living in America at some point. But it was so deep inside me, like I didn't even think about it for most of my life. So I, I did most of my uh, youth and my adult life, like, you know, trying to figure out my life and getting a job, etc. I went to college. I, I get I get two degrees, one in history, one in computer science. And I end up, because I was a nerd, I was a geek, I end up uh, being a, an, IT an IT consultant, then a journalist specializing in information security and software and hardware, corporately, what we call B2B, business to business. So not, nothing glamorous. But it gave me to the point past 30 when at some point I was like, and I was very happy with my life. I was not like a bitter man who didn't like his job, etc. No, I was had a good job. I was paid pretty well. But back in the day, I was paying pay better like some kids were just out of inferior school. So because I was pretty competent in my in my skills. And at some point I was like, yeah, in 20 years, I'm, I'm going to be 50. <laughs> I was already thinking like this. And I'm going to regret it if I don't try to live in America uh, a few years. So it was really an instant and it shifted all, all my my thought about this and my process of living. And I, I, I'm. I shift my career and my work with this goal to live in the USA. And suddenly there will not be a dream big, big enough. So I was like on top of it. Okay, what can I do? I love sports. I like art, the art of photography, but I, I really love sports photography. I, I'm just like, it was like, I'm going to be a sports photographer. Was it like rational or was it, it was a little bit rational because I was like, if I go there, I took picture. It doesn't matter if I'm not an English born uh, speaking, uh, sp spoken people, person. It doesn't matter if I have an accent, you know. Uh, I'm not going to shift from journalist in France to journalist in America. So let's use a camera. Let's take picture. 
it's going to be easy. And at the same time, I was like, it would be a cool job if I can cover the NBA, the MLB, the NFL, all these sports I grew up watching in France and being uh, falling in love with. So basically, I, I decided to have a, I decided to pursue my dream. I set the goal. And when I set the goal, any means were good enough to, to reach this goal. And photography was, by the time, was for me a, a possibility, an easy way to, uh, to work uh, legally in this country and, uh, and, and, to, um, and to achieve the dream to live in, the, in this country. It's so fascinating because, uh, you know, I, one question that was bubbling for me is, you know, what kind of person tends to be drawn to photography? Because the thing about photography for me is that, you know, I was somebody who was uh, kind of good at a lot of things, but mm -hmm. photography is definitely not one of those things. It's like, it's actually, what, what's funny, <laughs> photography and playing basketball. I'm, I, I'm terrible at both of those. <laughs> and, I'm not a good basketball player, neither. Really, I'm really <laughs> kind of terrible at it. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's just funny to me, especially because it was always a point of, of contention, especially here in America. I was like, you know, you, you black, you can't play basketball, really? And you tall? What's wrong with you, boy? <laughs> yeah, it was the same for me for a long time, but it was not that important in France. And I played soccer and I was pretty good at soccer, what we call football in France. So it, it was okay. Uh, for photography, there's definitely an art of it and there's different level of talent. But I always tell people, that I'm not faking humility. Everybody can learn to be a, a pretty good, decent photographer. Uh, people don't know this because people are not taught the the the. the the skills, the competency of uh, of taking picture, but it's it's doable for for everybody actually. Then you can be much more or less talented, of sure, of course. But uh, again, no fake humility. I does I don't see myself as an uber talented photographer. I know I'm a good photographer and I can deliver results. Uh, I I know in some area I can be pretty good and I have my own eye. But I'm not consider myself as a very talented photographer. I know the job. I know what to do. That's so you know. That's so interesting because to, to hear someone say, "Well, you know, I'm I'm okay," and yet you're like courtside photographing Kobe Bryant. <laughs> yeah. But it's I had like... to pinch myself many times along my own career. And I have ups and downs in my personal life. And even when I was shooting the NBA back in the day before I moved to the USA, especially for my friend in France, they had this idea, oh, you're in Miami, you're in Chicago, you're in Boston, you're shooting the NBA, that's a great life. I was making very less money, you know, and I was on a budget on the road trip and I was in a, in shitty motel and I was eating like bad food, etc., etc. But at least uh, um, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, the, the moment, the second I was sitting on my spot on the floor and I was doing my job, it's like eh, every struggle, every every trouble and struggle was like, whoop, and it was my happy place. It was a fantastic happy place. And uh, it's, but people see only a lot of time in life. People see the results. You know, you're an actor yourself, and you know when you see somebody acting, sometimes you forget about all the art and all probably the work and the behind this craft. You know, you just see something natural. When I had to act a little bit, it was for a production we did a pilot we did with friends, and it was not really acting. I, I was supposed to be myself, but I have a few lines to say. 
I was absolutely terrible. And it was a few simple lines. And I was not acting. I was supposed to be me. And I could, it take us like number of texts. It was ridiculous. So yeah, yeah, I, I'm not thinking immunity. Yes, I, I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good photographer. And I've been, I, I've been fortunate enough to be at the right moment at the right spot and to be able to do the work in a way I could deliver the research, which are expected by your clients. But I can totally see when a photographer who do, who's doing the same job as me is way better than me. And uh, it's it's kind of like unusual in the photography world world when people have big ego and they don't compliment each other. And I, I, I get great friends in this business because I just went to there and said, wow, you're fantastic. I love your work. I've been following for a long time. And the guy was like surprised because I was covering the NBA finals next to him. So he was like, you know, you're not a rookie, obviously, but you know what? It's like, yeah, I'm a rookie photographer. Well, you know, well, it's funny, you know, you're talking about ego to uh, to an actor, which is hilarious. Uh, you know, <laughs> very, you know, very few people compliment people, but it is funny because people think people think that that um, that all acting is is learning lines and everything. And you know, there was a period, there was one year where I was working with a lot of dancers, actually, and it was funny because I'm sitting here as an actor, being like. How do you learn all these combinations and choreography so quickly? And you know, and dancers that they're so unbelievably athletic, and and the way that they their their kinesthetic intelligence and how they how they translate you know the emotion into movement and everything. And I'm just I'm sitting here like with two left feet, and but yet I would work on scenes with them, and they're just like, you know, how do I sound like a human? <laughs> how, yeah. how do I sound like a real person? So it's not. It's not that easy, but we're not going to go, uh, you know, in, in depth on that. It's just I, one thing that I'm, I'm curious about is because um, you, you describe yourself as, as a nerd. And yet I your your sense of, of fashion and, and style is so um, it's just so on point. And so I, I guess how do I ask it? Is it is it do you think that being that a photographer has it sort of. Has it had an impact on your sense of aesthetic at all? You know, do you do you see things differently? Has it has it sort of had an impact? I feel like it's sort of a basic question, but you know, because when I, when I hear the word nerd, I I think of someone like you know, big glasses and sort of you know, poor hygiene and yeah. doesn't take care of themselves, but uh, not not necessarily the um, the sort of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Fa fashionista that's, that seems like maybe uh, not the right word that, that, that I see before me uh, in, in, in other interviews right now. Does that make sense? Any of that make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. When, when I talk about being nerd, I'm talking about my teenage years. For some reason, I was not perceived at all as the cool cool guy in high school, junior high school and high school. I couldn't get girlfriend, any anything. So I was hanging with not the cool dude, but the guys who were like into books, we started to have computer back in the day, but it was like like you know very expensive. But I was with this kind of dude, and 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 I was also curious, and I would say I was a smart kid and a smart teenager, so I was into books, etc. When it comes to fashion or clothes, first my my mother didn't have the money to buy me any cool cooler cool clothes, and and back in the day, growing up in the seventies and the eighties. You just get like you get the clothes that she can buy at the grocery, not the grocery, store, at the general store and stuff like this. And um, I think I was I was attracted to photography. It was a means to live in the USA, but at the same time, I had a sense of aesthetics visually. I could tell it's not a big talent, but I could tell oh, this photography is amazing. 
this style is cool, but I couldn't never apply to me. So even when I started to be a grown up and, and having a job and making some money when I can buy clothes, I was not dressing really well because I knew what was looking good and I was trying to apply to me and it didn't work because it was not me. And actually for a long time, and until my, less, my late thirties, I'm 51 right now, until my late thirties, I was, nobody would have said, oh, Chris, he has a sense of style or fashion. Or Nobody would have said, and it would be fair. I started to have this sense in the eyes of other people when I started to just wanted to be myself and to dress in a way, oh, I like this for myself. And not, oh, it looks good on this guy, it should look good on me. It never worked. So basically, when I really started to travel a lot, in the, to live in the USA and a little bit before, I just started to dress the way I wanted to dress for myself. And with like, I would say an homage to the kid I was at seven years old who was watching Starsky Edge and Cowboy, etc. So that's my style I love. So I'm almost wearing a, a costume now, in a way. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm dressing. I love the 70s and I grew up in the 70s, but as a kid. Now I'm dressing a lot of time like the adult were dressing in the 70s because I love the style. Maybe it get me closer to my father also because I see pictures of him during the 70s and my father was a black man from the West Indies. He has this big afro and everything 70s and very skinny and stuff. So I just, at some point, I just like, fuck it, pardon me, my French. I was, fuck it, I'm going to dress like the... This vintage cowboy, if I not like this vintage cowboy, I like this, I like this shirt, I like this levis with like the flare a little bit like boot, boot cut pants, etc. etc. So I was just not thinking about copying or being influencing by anybody, but a vision of myself, the vision of the kid will have, have of myself when I was an adult, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned the word you mentioned the word costume, which to me yeah. it implies artifice. But at the same time, you also describe um, being completely authentic and 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 you know in in yourself. And it's and it's interesting too because I think I feel like aesthetically and especially musically, you know, like 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 black music from the seventies. That's sort of like my that's like my jam. I feel like that's my favorite era of music and. Um, and I'm always very moved when I see pictures from from that era, mm -hmm. and uh, you know the the, the form fitting clothes and people are you know in shape and you know yes. the beautiful skin and and yeah. um, the hairstyle the hairstyle of men and women were fantastic yeah. you know it was kind of a little different you know than nowadays which is kind of like you know it's so it's so weird and I guess so the another question that I have the is that. Uh, in terms of aesthetics and maybe even a wider appreciation for for art, do do you see like a a, a stark difference between the, the the U.S. and and Europe? Because I know for myself, um, I think one of my frustrations has been, um, and and I'm not the first person to bring it to sort of observe this, but even though especially Black Americans have a, a very rich artistic and creative history in this mm -hmm. country, it doesn't seem like there's um, much appreciation for it in this country. I mean, Camille Paglia, um, who's a great intellectual, talked about uh, how America is a very utilitarian culture. And yet you go, and she's Italian. She's like, you know, you go to Italy and they love art over there. And then France, you know, there's all, all types of wonderful um, painters and, and playwrights and all kinds of things. And, you know, so I guess, I guess I'm curious about like the sort of appreciation for 
what what you observe about the appreciation for art and aesthetics um, here versus in your your home country? Uh, well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna rebound on something you say about about the Black America, which uh, because that's something which surprised me when I start travel twenty twenty five years ago in the USA. I, I was attracted by the um, the culture in America, the arts, the, the, the writings, the literature, and and lot of stuff, and music, of course. And when I came here, I was kind of surprised 20, 15 years ago. I was kind of surprised. For instance, I knew for a long time people like Curtis Mayfield. You know, I I, I was reading uh, Chester Himes, uh, um, Gil Scott Heron and stuff, etc. The writing right. and the music and Brian Jackson and all this stuff. And and I was this French, French kid from a medium town in France. I came to the USA and... Uh, and I was talking to pretty educated people because I was in the IT world. So people from the IT, etc. I was going to convention in, in San Francisco, in Las Vegas, etc. And I noticed like a lot of a black American I was talking to, they had almost no idea who were they, you know. And, and I was very surprised. So I was like, it's funny because friends, when it comes, especially to black America, let's, I mean, I narrow the scope a little bit. But when it comes to, to black American culture, friends, I always been like a big fan of it. Really? My this was really welcome in Paris. It stayed welcome a lot of time. All the jazz musicians, they they find a shelter in France and shelter in Paris. When I saw my Davis back in the day say something like, "When I'm in Paris, I'm treated like a human being. I'm treated like a man compared to America." So. Especially French, I cannot speak for the whole Europe, but especially French, I've always been very welcoming to any culture from America. Uh, the Black American culture, first and foremost, but even every kind of culture. So sometimes I would say we are probably more exposed in Europe at a young age, even in school, to art. You know, I remember having class of, of, of Spanish language when I was the equivalent of junior high school for you in France when we were um, studying Guernica, the, the painting from Picasso and stuff. So it was a young, it's part of the culture. If we were uh, learning about a country, we were learning about its culture right away. So we exposed to culture at the really young age. Uh, I, I helped raise two, uh, two boys, my two sons with Gigi in this country. And they are smart and educated and I'm not blaming on them, but you can tell they are less exposed or, uh, in culture and arts by the background in high school, junior high school, that we are in Europe. At least that we were when I grew up in the 70s and 80s. So that's a difference. Like, you, whether you want it or not, you get out of high school uh, in France, you know about art. You might not know much, but you have been exposed about art. So, and if you live in a place like Paris, naturally, even at a young age, you go to party, you go to club, you go to restaurant anyway but you're going to go to an exhibit you're going to go to a museum you're going to go to this kind of place because it's part of the way of living of in in france especially in paris that the way we live we know we go out doing stuff but going out is not only going to a club and dance it's also to be exposed to to culture and when you live in europe you live in centuries and centuries of of history and history is integrated with arts and culture. So the exposition is different when you come to America. America is more a consumer society and arts is also consumed. So arts need to have a value right away. It's not, it's not by any, Andy Warhol was 
is a product of America. It will not have been the same exposition and and success. I would say, in, I think so, in a country like France, because it's it needs to. We need to put value on it right away, and it's more like the the pursuit of art for the art which you have in 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 Europe. If that makes sense. If you're a fan of the Clifton Duncan podcast, you'll love my new newsletter called The State of the Arts. Sign up for free for weekly articles as well as the latest information on my upcoming projects, shows, events, and appearances. And for just five dollars a month, you can hear me bring my articles to life in my velvety baritone voice. Join the growing heterodox arts movement and subscribe to The State of the Arts today at cliftonduncan.substack.com. No, yeah, well, you know, art for art's sake, as they say, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's you, you mentioned the word value, and I totally agree. I also wrote down the word function, you know, it has to serve some kind of a some kind of a purpose. And, you know, I just wonder if, um, if, if, because I'm trying to articulate, I think one of the things that I'm interested in right now was that, you know, I spent a lot of time in New York, and, and also in other, you know, sort of blue areas like California, LA. And, um, you know, in a city like New York, I mean, art is very, very much a part of the identity of the city and a, and a part of the culture, but not so much if you're in like middle America or, you know, the South or whatever. But at the same time, in my experience in the past few years, um, I've found that um, there's actually a, a rich appreciation for, for you know, I, I'll call it high art. And, um, and, and I think a lot of people feel kind of alienated by a lot of the artists here. And I'm trying to find a way to express to people not to ignore this one aspect of their lives or of, you know, of, of a well-rounded life. And so I guess the, the, the question is, you know, do you think that there's something that your, your sons are, are missing in terms of their development if they haven't gotten that exposure versus something that you got or that, 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 that French or more Europeans uh, are, are getting that Americans aren't? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it makes sense. I think the world has evolved so much since I was in my in my in my teenage years in my twenties. Uh, I think they get all the st they get things differently and all the stuff. Uh, I know both of my sons are really into music, and I have um, a spectrum and a range of music culture which is pretty pretty impressive, you know. And I I kind of influence them because it's always gap of generation. You you cannot push your children. Uh, to to have the same kind of education you have, and it's a, a, even more obvious for me because I was even born in another country, even different culture, etc. They, they, uh, the old the old system and the old the old world is really different. But when we can connect with generation, it's music. And um, and my father actually did this with me. My father, for some reason, didn't grow up. He he he. he he never went to college. He grew up really poor in a small island in the Caribbean island, etc. For some reason, he was very educated in music. And we're talking about, he was born in 1950. So you're talking, talking about somebody who grew up in the 50s and in the 60s. And and in, the 20, in, the 20, um, in his youth, in 20s, he was very open to a lot of music. So I grew up listening to uh, people like Fela Kuti to jazz music, blues music, to music from the Caribbean island because they had like a very strong uh, musical heritage in the Caribbean island, and he, and actually also the folk music from France. Like, so he was really exposed, like so, uh, kind of the equivalent of people like Georges Brassens, Leo Ferré, like kind of a I would say um, Bob Dylan kind of French singer, right? 
And so I, 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 I did the same thing with my song, with my songs. I like, I listened to music from Led Zeppelin, from Miles Davis, for a lot of stuff. So they grew up, whether they want it or not, when I was driving to high school, we were listening to it. And that's funny you talk about it because last night, my older son is 23 years old now. He sent me a song about, about, uh, uh, a Led Zeppelin song on Spotify and he was like remember the 1968 Chevalier Sess because I had the 68 Chevalier Sess I was picking up in at high school with this kind of music so I exposed them to art through music for instance then I kind of exposed them to art through photography because I'm a photographer but I don't really impose and the world is really different they're going to get to art by themselves at some point because it, it needs also to be I don't really like this this word journey because we, we use it all the time. It's a personal journey art, you know. Uh, sometimes people are at a very young age. They are like, they love it. They, they understand it, the the learn the learning of art and what it can teach you. And sometimes you it takes you to be 40 years old, 50 years old. Sometimes it takes you money. You think, I need to buy this nice painting and this nice painting. And it's kind of vain and superficial, but you're still learning through your will to buy some painting. So I think it's really personal. And there's nothing much I could do, like sharing some stuff, mostly about visual and uh, and, um, and and musical arts with my sons. You know, it's, uh, there's so many things I, I want to ask. I think one thing, this might be kind of weird. I don't know how this is going to come out, but, you know, I, I'm also thinking of... Um, and maybe it's because you spent so much time in, in the sports world. I mean, I, I spoke to um, recently the actor Dean Kane, who played professional football for a time before he went uh, in, in, into acting. And one of the things I asked him was about, you know, you're going from this world, which is like full of testosterone into one where you're like, you know, you have all this equipment in, in your face and yeah. not just speaking lines, but you have to be kind of vulnerable and open. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's he goes, it's a road. It's a journey because you have to be kind of vulnerable, expose yourself. And I, I also wonder. So I guess what I'm getting at is that this idea of. I wonder if men in this country, and maybe and maybe our idea of masculinity, um, if that includes this idea of, of, because um, I think I think when you're nurturing sort of an artistic and creative soul, there's also a bit of sensitivity that that's on top of that as well, which kind of goes against this uh, like the stoic strength that is expected of us, and which we kind of need as men, right, to exist in the world. And um, so I, I I wonder if that's sort of the uh, sort of the cultural difference as well, where, you know, in America, we have a very strong sense of what a, well, I mean, it's changing now, but a sense of what a man is and what strength is. And, you know, my, I, I wonder if, you know, cultivating, cultivating a sense of creativity as, as well, because, you know, especially people talk about, you know, creeping authoritarianism and these sort of ideologies. And I said, you know, one way you can combat that and really, really get back to your sort of own authenticity and individual freedom, right, is, is indulging in creativity, we, even if it's just doodling a cartoon on the on, you know, in your notes, or writing, you know, scribbling down a poem, you know, it doesn't have to be writing a great epic novel, or, you know, or an oil painting, but, you know, some, you know, write a song, do something, engage in that. But I don't know if, if, um, if that message will be as well received here in this country as it might be um, in, you know, overseas, you know what I mean? Yes, I, I actually I absolutely see your point, uh, but I think it's it's not America versus the rest of the country or America versus Europe. It's it's Western society because I I see what you mean about like, but it, it was the same when I grew up in France. I think it's still the same, uh, especially for men. We don't 
teach much the value of creativity. It's basically if you're not good at sports, okay, go, go do your stuff, you know. Maybe you're going to be good at singing or dancing, you know. But, you know, it's like, it's like there's, a, there's a sense of what is manly and the same which is like, okay, you can, you can still sing, you can still draw, but, you know, okay, you're not, you're not with us. You're not, you're not part of the band. You're not part of the boys, etc. Except if you playing an instrument and you're playing rock and roll, for instance. But if you're young and you started to playing uh, uh, something more jazzy, if you're going to if you play the a classical, that's the same. You're not putting the the big boys, you know, the many boys who play football, uh, football here or basketball or, or soccer in France, etc. So there's this sense, and we definitely need to to put more emphasis in the creativity, especially since if uh, everything regarding arts, it's a way to, it's a, and it's cheesy maybe, it's going to sound maybe corny and cheesy to say, but it's really a way to express yourself. So you can, if you express yourself in a way which is satisfying for you, you have you have a way to express yourself. If you don't have a way to express yourself as a man, you might be angry at some stuff. I don't know if you understand mm -hmm. what I mean. So, right, so uh, yes, you suddenly it into something, you know. For instance, I was not part of the cool cool kid when I was a teenager and a kid, and I was very skinny. I was not strong physically. I was good at sport. I was good at soccer, and I was runner, etc. But I was not seen as a guy, you know, kind of strong, etc. But I was into books, you know, and into books I learned so much and I have so many, so many great time reading books. So it was a way for me to educate myself. It was a way to me to, for me to dream. Uh, and it was a way for me to express myself because I had much more vocabulary at 12, 13, 14, 15, like any other kid. And when it was time to speak at the high school, I was not shy in high school. I was shy in the rest of the world, but not in the classroom. And when it was time to speak, I was very comfortable because I was eloquent and I was, and I was, that was my time to brag. That was my time to show the girl and all the boy, like, yeah, with some words and for a reasoning and argumentation, I can kind of put you down in a, in a nice way, but you know what I mean? So there's a lot of learn in, in the, in the, in, in the way of creativity. And that's not really taught much, I think. Not only in America, but in the rest of the world, in the Western society. I don't know for the rest, you know, for Asia, for instance, or other. But it's not really, yeah. There's a lesson there, I think. You know, it's interesting because um, it's it's hard for me to look at like a Miles Davis or a Fela Kuti and yeah. um, and not say like those those are those are dudes. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Those yeah. are, those are men. I mean, and even Miles, you know, was was totally into fashion and style, yeah. and uh, you know, and into and into clothes. And so it's it's it is interesting. Um, but I, yeah. I mean, I love that idea of um, you know channeling whatever's going on inside of you because because yeah. um, a lot of what we do as men is we we bottle that stuff up and uh, you know and and it's. A lot of guys work out at the gym, which is great as well. But uh, and I think we celebrate creativity in terms of like, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you have creative ideas about business, then that's the kind of creativity that we that we celebrate, but not not necessarily the ability to um, compose a painting. Um, yeah. I, I want to go back to this idea because you mentioned it was kind of surprising to me. You, you talked about the black American culture uh, being celebrated um, among the French and uh, you know, and, and I, I was kind of chuckling to myself because there's there is sort of this idea that that the uh, the French are a, are a bit racist. <laughs> I'm just gonna, gonna gonna say say that. But yeah. at the same time, you know, I I 
I, I have to imagine that for you coming over here must have been a, a bit of a culture shock. And, and I say that with a kind of not parallel, but analogous experience, because I know from people who don't know, you know, my mom was in the army, so we traveled a bit. And so from the ages of eight to 12, um, we lived in Belgium. So I had friends, you know, who were French, who were Turkish, Greek, uh, you know, kind of all over. And then when I got to the States, it was weird because, um, you know, the, 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 guys that I knew before I left um, in that four year period of time, they were so they were so radically different than 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 uh, than when I got back. And um, I'm thinking of this one kid named Ronald who, you know, who was I was friends with in like the third, fourth grade. And, you know, he's a kind of, you know, he wore these sweaters and, and was kind of a nerd and, you know, sweaters and corduroy. And then um, I remember one one day in eighth grade, um, a, a fight broke out and, and on the bleachers in my gym class. And these kids were just like, they, they're wailing at each other, just, you know, kind of just really going at each other. And they pulled them apart and they're, they're carrying them away. And I recognized one of the boys and it was that same kid. It was Ronald. And he had this feral look in his eyes and he was completely different and changed. And I thought to myself, what on earth is happening to our boys, to our young black boys in this country? Mm-hmm. And how on earth did I miss any of that? So I guess I say all of that to say, you know, the, the in terms of the racial climate here versus uh, versus overseas, um, I mean, how how different is it? And, and you know, what do you perceive there? As I said before, you know, people look at the French and it's like, well, they're kind of racist. But then in America, it's like, well, we're a more multicultural society. And yet people say this is like the most racist place on Earth. So <laughs> what, what, what has your experience been in that regard? Yo, uh, okay, so f- first I grew up with this love with, uh, this love with America, and so I, I, I read as much as I can about the culture and all kind of culture. I was not looking if it was black or white. I was looking at everything. The first thing will, will surprise me in a very positive way when I started travel in America is like I could see black people everywhere at every level of the society which was very pretty rare in France, in my hometown, for sure. And even I was, you know, when I was going to, when I, I moved to Paris, it was a little different, but it's same. It was that you cannot, I couldn't see people looking like me. We always talk about representation, but not in the, in the best way, I think. I could see black people at every level of the society. And I remember I was a IT journalist back in the day. One of the big, one of my first big interview was with the, was with the CEO of Symantec, a huge company, security company. I still remember to this day, his name was John Thompson, black man. And uh, that was unheard and unseen for me in, in France. I couldn't find a big CEO of a big company, even a, a CEO of a small, medium company who, who, uh, that matters, Black in, in France. So the representation in France was, was uh, in France in America of black people was very surprising for me and was very nice. It was, it was a, a nice shock. I see people everywhere. And then if I was doing like a short story about it, I don't want to be too long. I have 20, 25 years of experience in America, but my own experience, like people, when people say, especially black people in America, say, oh, America is so racist. And now they are joined by so many white people who, who say it with them and who apologize for it, etc. I'm like, you compare America to which country precisely? Because have you traveled the world? I mean, I can tell you for a fact, like uh, America is less 
it's less racist to black people like Francis. We don't have the same history because we didn't have like, there was like bad thing happening, really bad thing. We need to be very cautious when we talk about racism in America, unfortunately now. Very bad thing happened here. There was Jim Crow laws, there was segregation, etc. That's a fact. That's, that's things, historical fact, we didn't have in France. But saying, saying because we didn't have this in France, we are not racist compared to America. The things with America, when we went from the 1950s to 2000, it's huge. When we've been in France from 1950 to 2000, we were not low. We didn't have to go out of something which was terrible in this country. I'm talking about America. We were not to this low point, but we never reached the high points you reach. I mean, I cannot understand like being traveling for 20 years and see uh, um, black people at every level of the society, very successful people. How many countries in the world are, have more black millionaires? That's not the only value, the money. But how many countries in the world have more black millionaires than the United States of America? And we're just talking about black people. We can talk about any minorities. So my point is like, there's a perception America has of itself, which is not the, which is, it's not up to me only to say it's not the reality, but it's up to me to say, you need to compare yourself to others. And you might still think, oh, we are a racist country. Uh, but you, you might think we are not racist at all, actually. And also, I don't see the point of always, it's, it's a form of, uh, uh, our negativity is like when I see people, when I see like, I'm not going to name name, but I'm going to do it at the, at the same time. When I see LeBron James saying stuff like basically nothing happens in the 60s and at the same time praising Martin Luther King, you're just pitting on the, on the memory of Martin Luther King if you say nothing happened. It's like pick, 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 pick an opinion, pick a smart opinion about it. Nothing happened. So basically, Martin Luther King and all the civil rights movement, they did nothing. We're sorry, guys. You die. You march. You have been beaten, etc. in the South and in other places. But you did nothing. No progress has been made. All progress has been made. You praise this man. We are proud as black people. In, or we are proud as Americans for Martin Luther King and other people like this. So we acknowledge the incredible progress we have made in 60, 60 years. So you need to pick an opinion. Me, I pick an opinion when I see I didn't live in America in the 60s. I was born in 71. I didn't travel in this country in 20, 25 years ago. But I see what this country is right now. I can compare it to the country I was born in. And I can compare to country when we, we don't say much about them or we, or we don't care. We just say America is systemic racist, systemically it's racist, and we don't compare to countries who are not systemic racist right now, but culturally racist. So it's it's really a bad perspective. But I know so you don't need, you don't even need to have to happen to be black or Asian or from India or anything. I think a lot of immigrants in this country really don't have like this hard judgment and this hard definitive opinion about America like a lot of Americans are of their own country.
Do you drink coffee or tea? Of course you do, and that's why I want to tell you about my sponsor, Twin Engine Coffee. Twin Engine Coffee grows and roasts specialty-grade coffees right on the farms in Central America. If you don't drink coffee, try Katura Tea, my personal favorite, made from the dried fruit of the coffee plant. Pro tip, add some ginger, lemon, honey, and a dash of cayenne powder, and you'll have the perfect, sexy, soothing concoction. Support small business and this podcast and order from TwinEngineCoffee.com slash Clifton Duncan. Again, that is TwinEngineCoffee.com slash Clifton Duncan. Well, it's very strange. And, and, and it's funny because, you know, I, I, I jot it down. Uh, it's, it's strange because because in this country, one, it seems like one of the prerequisites for being a progressive is to completely not acknowledge that any progress was actually made. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel so exactly... I feel exactly the same way that you do. You know, it's so offensive to me because I mean, you know, in my line of work, I think of guys, people who people haven't even heard of, like Ira Aldrich, uh, who was a you know an actor from I want to say the 18th century, black mm -hmm. actor, um, uh, Burt Williams, who was a comedian in the early uh, 20th century, but guys like Sammy Davis Jr. and I mean Paul Robeson risked his life to play a, opposite a white woman in Othello on Broadway in the 50s. Sammy Davis Jr., who's like probably the most talented member of the Rat Pack you know, with Sinatra and all those other guys, um, you know, he couldn't even enter the same, um, the same hotels uh, that, that, uh, that Frank Sinatra was staying in. He was in a relationship with Kim Novak and had to keep it under wraps because of all the racism at the time. And, um, you know, or Harry, Harry Belafonte, Sidney Poitier, I feel like I'm standing on the shoulders of all these guys so that I can be, you know, flown around the country, you know, first class and stay in nice hotels and make, you know, 10 grand a week, do it, you know, for a few days of work on TV. Mm -hmm. And yet these people over here, I mean, like, like a LeBron James and other people are, are trying to pretend as though things are still like they were in Jim Crow America. And it's so offensive to me. It's like you said, it, 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 it's, they completely dismiss everything that's been done, but it, it seems to only be for, for ideological reasons. And, uh, you know, you mentioned our negativity and, it, there's a there's a strange sort of um, need to be seen as a a victim, and what's strange it's it's we call it learned helplessness, really. And um, but what's strange is that us the two of us saying these things, even though we have you know different life experiences, uh, you know, it, it is we would we would be classified by by many in in the cult the quote unquote the culture as mm -hmm. you know not politically black or we be like considered uh, right right wing or more conservative and like you know what what does politics have to do with any of this or partisanship it doesn't make any sense but i, I think the the idea that to see black progress in the way that that we see it um mm -hmm. brands us as right wing which in in the minds of these people is um is a negative thing Oh, it's um, being I, a Nazi, basically. You're right. a Nazi. <laughs> it's, but like, it, it, like it's, a, it's such a sickness. I mean, it's, such a, it's a sick way of looking at life. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, I got to meet Harry Belafonte after a show once. And I, 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 all I said was like, you know, thank you. Thank you for blazing the trail for guys like me. And, um, that, and that's what I wanted him to hear because he, he went through that battle. He went through those, that, that stuff. So I don't have to. And yet it seems like you know, it's like none, none of what he did matters. It's so disgusting to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, at the same time, it's also very dangerous because if you push the idea to a young generation of, of black kids, like, oh, we are in 2023, 
But since the 60s, the 50s, as they can see archive and an image of what happened and the bad thing happened, if you push the idea, we, we went nowhere. We went nowhere. And if it's someone like LeBron James, an actual billionaire will tell you this. You have no reason to not believe it. I mean, you can you can think by yourself. But you push the idea like, basically, it, it doesn't matter what I'm going to try to do in America. We went nowhere. A lot of people who know better than me tell me we go nowhere. You might be smarter than this and tell yourself, wait a minute. It's LeBron James who telling me this. He's actually, he's a superstar known in the world. It's a billionaire. So obviously we went somewhere. And it's not one example, you know. But you push only something terrifying for a young generation. Because not only is there the victim part, and now there's suddenly some value and virtue to be a victim, which I don't understand. I never understand. And on top of it, you cultivate anger because if you think like I cannot do much in this country which is so racist you're going to see racist everywhere and you either going to be completely depressed and you're going to feel like a victim and you're never going to go anywhere or you're going to feel so angry like you can do bad things based on this anger and one other thing is like I, I joke many times I've seen by me I've been seen by many people including former friends of uh, people that we know, like a white supremacist. I'm, I'm, I'm joking without joking. I know I lost my blackness card for a lot of people for a long time because I refuse to say things I, I, I cannot say. I, I cannot say it. It's not, I cannot say it's true. So for some people, it's like, you're not black anymore. That is, it is what it is. You're not black anymore, you know. I have no problem. I am actually, you know, that, that may be different. I am a conservative anyway. So that's the worst of thing for people. I am anyway. But it goes further than this. It's like, it's, I'm this, but I'm not really black. Even I have some progressive friends, when I told them in 2020, during the summer of riots, when I told them, you know, that's not a, you know, that's not a racist country. Some friends, progressive and nice, and they say it in them. They, they didn't think about anything bad. They say, yes, but Chris, you, oh, yeah, you don't experience racism in this country because you're cool. You look cool. And I, I don't know what to say. This. I, yes, okay, so, I, okay, so just because I look cool. So you need, to, you need to be black and looking cool. If you're black and ugly, you experience racism. I, I, you know, you're at some point, like, you, you, I don't even have an argument to say against stuff like this. It's well, just there's ridiculous. No, well, there's nothing you can say. And, and, I, yeah. and I'll add that, you know, for all this, you know, we talk about white supremacy, but in my experience, maybe it's been yours as well, is that black Africans come over here and they're like, what the hell are y'all Americans talking about? Like every, and literally, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame, but every black African I've ever spoken to they actually look down on black Americans. And the reason they do so, yeah. they, they say, well, they complain. They yeah. don't, you know, they don't work hard and, you know, yeah. they have this, this, this self-defeating attitude. And um, meanwhile, you know, I'm coming from Ghana or, or Nigeria, or, you know, some dilapidated village and I'm, you know, or Sudan or something. And I'm here, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. in, in, in the lap of luxury comparatively. And yeah. it's and it's and it's funny because this is how this is how, this is how I know that they're onto something. Uh, well, for one, you know, the same kind of I dated a Nigerian woman for for a bit, and then I went on and dated a, a, 
a, an Asian woman or after that. And it's funny because the, the same kind of stereotypes that, that you would hear about Asian parents, you would also hear about Nigerian parents. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you look at the, the top uh, people in, uh, in entertainment, you know, as for, for, for acting, you know, it's like Uzo Aduba, Emmy winner, uh, 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 Idris Elba, who everybody loves, Chiwetela Giofor, Oscar winner. They're all Nigerian. And that's not, that's not an accident. And, um, you know, and, and it's so, and then on Ivy League, uh, on Ivy League universities, it's, it's hilarious. I, I've actually seen black people complaining, black Americans complaining that, that they're being replaced on, on Ivy League universities because there's too many Africans around. It's like, well, why don't you copy what the Africans are doing and, <laughs> and, and, and step it up? But, you know, but, but, you, but you can't say that, you can't do that, because if you do, then again, you're not politically black or, you know, you don't experience racism and yada, 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 and, you know, or, or you're safe or, you know, you're, you're uh, an Oreo or an Uncle Tom and all this other stuff. And it's just this weird, um, you know, people get mad at me. I've said before, like a lot of, a lot of problems that black people face um, are internal. They're not external, they're internal. Yes. And, um, but, you know, to say that, then you become, uh, you become a black Nazi somehow. It's really yeah. strange. Yeah. And then also the fact, like the same people who tell you America is, is racist and uh, let's talk about black because it's mostly the, what they say about it, racist against black. So basically, there's a racist because of your skin color. But they're going to point other black people, but just because either like me, I'm not from this country, but either if you're American born and you don't think the same way, immediately it's not be, you're not really black. And when it's black people from Africa, or from the Caribbean island, or, for, or immigrants like you, from Europe like me, it's the same thing. Suddenly, oh, it's not about your skin color. They prove a point for me. It's about the culture. And I, I need to be I need to be cautious when I say stuff like this because I, I don't want to sound dumb and I'm not that smart. But I always say, I, I, I many times I say, there's actually look at yourself in the mirror. There's an issue with the Afro-American which I don't like to call Afro-American, I like to call it black culture. So there's an issue with the black culture in America. There's a real issue because if it was an issue about, it's not an issue about skin. I'm not right here with my skin telling you black people are less than or, or worse or, or not. No, I'm black myself. I'm here to say your skin, your skin color doesn't change anything. So my difference might be your culture and what you push in your culture. And the the prophet and the speaker and the mouthpiece you have in your culture. So uh, it, to, to, to sum up something like growing up reading and listening to, uh, to black music and black culture, how can we go how can we, I say we, how can the black culture can go from Curtis Mayfield, which was part of the impression before, a man who wrote a song like People Get Ready. How can we go from this to Cardi B and to other like rap culture? And don't get me wrong, I can, I can talk about rap culture. To other rap culture, which become to a point some full of filth and full of insulting like even a guy like me who grew up on it from the 80s doesn't listen to any rap culture anymore, rap song anymore. So we came from people, and that's just an example. We came from Curtis Mayfield to this, or we came from Gil Scott Iran 
what to fight his own demon with drugs, with alcoholics, etc. So Curtis Mayfield, I will I will put it in the pantheon of like a great man and kind of more of saint, right? Gil Scott Heron kind of show you a man who has ups and downs, sin, struggling in his life, etc. But who has a powerful voice, a powerful, beautiful, smart voice, a powerful what will have saying been seen said a powerful black voice in America. To the black voice in America we have in the music industry and cultural industry right now, you have an issue with your culture. You don't have an issue with skin color. So before blaming everybody, the country, a supposed white supremacy, it's a totally fake term, you know. Uh, before blaming everything, look at your culture and change your culture from the, in the inside. My my father was a black man born in a small island called Martinique, French West Indies island in the Caribbean island in the 50s, really poor, etc. Never, never use or, 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 or educate me with the race card or with racism. We were not talking about racism, except a few stuff. Oh, you're going to need pay attention and you're going to need to work harder. It's unfair, like you have to work harder because you look like me when you grew up in, in, in Tour in France. You're like, why? I should, I should work hard because everybody should work hard. He told me a little, you're going to need to work harder to have the same job because they're not. That was true. It's a little unfair. unfair. But my father raised me for the idea, you just do it. You just do it. You're going to be victim. And I've been victim of racism in France. But I refuse my entire life to be defined by racism. So I diffuse. It, it was make me angry like I had to go through this. But I wanted to wash it right away. When I feel a lot of people, the racism is a blanket to like to all the issue. It's because of this. It's because of that. And the, the, all, the only and single thought is racism in this country. I never thought about it. Never, th never really thought about it because my father didn't think about it because he raised me like this. Did he experience racism when it was 1968 and he moved from his small island to Paris, France? Hell yeah, a lot of it. Did I experience racism all my, my youth in France? Yeah, not terrible stuff to the, to, the, to the point I was afraid of my life, thanks God, but I experienced it. But I would have never do anything in my life. I would have never done accomplish anything of value for me, not for the society, but for me, meaning having the wife I have, raising two sons, and living the life the way I want to live it. I will never experience this if I was focusing about the fact that I was sometimes a victim of racism. There's no virtue to be a victim of racism and to... To be fine with it and to get back to this. That's what defines you. You're a victim of racism because America is a racist. Good luck to achieve anything. Yeah, you know, it's 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 tough too because, um, you know, if you say that to people, then they will get very, very angry at you. Yes. And, you know, yeah. they'll talk about oppression and, and white people and, and slavery. You know, it reminds me of, um, I was like 14 or so. And I'm down that we're in Virginia. And for whatever reason, uh, the bus didn't show up that morning or it was late. I don't know what was going on. 
And it was me standing next to this other kid uh, from the neighborhood who was smoking a black and mild. And uh, he looks me up and down and, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm nerdy as well, right? Kind of like you. And he looks me up and down, he takes a puff and then he goes, you one of the smart ones, ain't you? And for me at the time, I was insulted because I was like, oh, here we go again. You know, I'm, I'm acting white or I'm a, I'm a nerd because, you know, I, I, I do my schoolwork and this and that and the third. But um, looking back on it, it made me sad because he was differentiating himself from me in his own mind. And, you know, it's not it's just not white people doing that. It's, there's no white people going around, you know, knocking on doors and saying, hey, Darkie. Uh, just so you know, <laughs> you, you, you know, um, like th there's no, that that's, it's, it's an internal, it's an internal thing. It's a social thing. And yeah. it's, it's a very, very difficult conversation to have. Um, because like you said, it is a security blanket. It's a yeah. nice sort of safety net for, you know, for all the kinds of things. And, and the irony is that once I began to let go of that, of this idea of myself as a, as a, as an aggrieved black person, that's sort of when my life and my work, frankly, as an actor began to improve immensely. And, um, but yet, even if I say that there'll be people who will watch this and say, well, oh, you became safe. You know, you, now you're non-threatening to white people. So of course they, they accept you now. So there's really no, there's no kind of wiggle room that you have in, 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 in our society right now. And, you know, and you brought it up, so I'm going to go there. <laughs> I'm going to go there, but you see guys like LeBron James and, you know, and I, I think it's interesting because I, for me, and you mentioned achievement, right? Good luck achieving anything in your life. Yes. And I have to say, I, I don't think I've ever heard Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant for that, for that matter, complain about oppression or about racism. And we see what they've accomplished in their lives versus, yeah. I mean, you know, and it's not to take anything away from, from LeBron, his athleticism and what he has accomplished, you know, it's there. Um, I say the same thing about like, like Shaquille O'Neal, you know, yeah. I mean, all these really, really great big stars. I just don't see them talking about that kind of stuff. They're, they're actually, and they, they, and they just, they are immensely, Denzel Washington's another guy who said exactly yeah. what you did. He's like, you know, he's like, I, I happen to be black, but it's not, it doesn't define me. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, please, can't you see that? Idris Elba recently um, caused a controversy when he said, you know, I don't want to be called an actor. I want to be called a black actor. I had a, I had a viral tweet where I said, uh, you know, I, I said, thanks. I, I've been there for 15 years. Welcome. Um, yeah. You know, but it's like, you know, guys, look at the pattern. Yeah. All these all these black high achievers who are, you know, leaving that behind are just um you know, th these are the people that, that you should be looking up to as opposed to these people who, I mean, they, they complain all the time. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the same thing. Like, I remember in 2020, we have all this social network, Instagram, having this new gif and tag you can put on your story, buy black, buy black, uh, support black, buy black. I, I was telling people, if you think, if you like my photography, and you think I'm an artist, I'm a, I'm a photographer. I didn't see myself as an artist because I'm a sports photographer. It's more like a photojournalist, like, like an artist per se. But anyway, if you think my photography is art, I can assure you my photography is photography. It's not black photography. And I'm not a <laughs> black artist. I'm, it's so reducing to say stuff like this. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it, for me, it's, it's upsetting more than anything, but yes, it makes people angry. But people, people talk about oppression and stuff. I was in the eighties in in France, end of high school in a in a in a town, 
and you talk about white supremacy now, etc. I had to physically fight what we called the, the skinheads back in the day. We were this movement of fascist guys. They were shaving their head. They are like, you know, he was coming from the skinhead. He was coming from a musical. Part of them were not fascist. Uh, it was a ska movement, ska, S-K-A, ska musical movement and skinhead right, yeah. in the 80s in England. But a part of it was really fascist, was neo-Nazis. They actually have like the the the, the Staviska. They had the SS Staviska. I actually had to fight when I was 17, 18 years. I had to fight this guy with other guys. And by the, by the way, my other friend, my other guy, were well, like my friend, because I didn't grow up in a big black community in my high school. There was a black community in my hometown. My high school happened to have like no much black people for, for some reason. I don't know. It was a public school, uh, high school. But I had to fight this guy. Fight in the street, you know, back in the, fight the street with their own baseball bat or, or stuff like this. And you're talking about oppression and white supremacy in, in the USA right now. I always tell people, if you're racist in America right now, good luck. But show me where they are. Because without being ra- a racist, like a, a racist is going to say, oh, look at this derogative term for this Asian. No, no. Without having this stuff, you know, you, you can be perceived or labeled as a racist. And you lose your work. You lose your social relationship. You, lose, you you'll be isolated, even if that's not true. If some people have decided he is racist, you lost everything. Even if they don't see us as black people, they can cancel us, etc. But then they're not going to cancel us for racism. But my wife, which is white, if she said the wrong thing in certain circles, it doesn't matter she has been married three times in her life and two times to a black man. They're gonna say she's a racist. So my point is always like, good luck being a racist. There's no real racist in America. Nobody can live his life to be a be openly racist in America. Nobody can do it, in, especially in this country. And you talk it about white supremacy all the time. While at the same time you elected, you elected Joe Biden, would tell you if you didn't vote for him, you were not black. So. So maybe maybe you don't see where are the white supremacists. But seriously, it, it's a complete joke. It's a complete joke. And I, I don't want to be too long on this, but the same thing like we talk about the cost of oppression. As when black Americans say this, you add black Americans who were oppressed in the 40s, in the 50s, in the South and before, etc. You add actual slavery. So if you say, if you talk about yourself as oppressed right now, again, it's an insult to what people went through. It's an insult to them because they went to terrify things. And you talk about oppression for what exactly? Because there's not even black people in this company, in this board, it's it's, it's, it's an insult. It's like when people talk about Nazism. Oh, like, oh, it's like, it's like Germany, etc. And then talk to someone who went to the concentration camp and survived this. You insult them if you compare what they went through to the time we, we are going through. And that, that's something which upset me. It's, it's again, maybe come back to the lack of perspective. People say, oh, America is so racist. Go travel the world and you'll see. Oh, oh, this is fascism. This is not fascist. 
they still country when they smash it. Oh, look at this. It's going to be like Nazi. It's going to be the new Mussolini. It's the new Hitler. Come on. It's an insult to people who died, you know, like who went to horrifying stuff. So it's a lack of perspective. You have no historical perspective, no ge geographically perspective. You know, I think the last thing I'll say as well, I feel like I could talk to you all day, is that, you know, just going back a little bit, even at a time where there was more open racism in the culture, we still produced, you know, the blues, we, you know, Muddy Waters, James Brown, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughn, uh, Nina Simone, uh, you know, James Brown, Curtis Mayfield, you know all yes, these people. So Billy Holiday, you know, so it, it's it's very, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. It's really strange that uh, and really damning, I think, of our current culture and the current mindset that even at a time where we had all this racism, we still had our, you know, our Duke Ellington, like we had all these amazing, brilliant artists. And now what do we have today? I'm not I'm not going to catastrophize and say that it's all bad because there is some cool stuff still being made. And thank God for the Internet that we can find these great artists, these independent artists who are putting out wonderful stuff. But I, I do think it is it is amazing, isn't it, that you had these works of, you know, I mean, I'm thinking of Donny Hathaway as well, um, who were these wonderful, wonderful artists of, you know, or Motown. Gosh, I mean, I, I can go on and on and on about yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah, you, you, you never stop. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, uh, and, and yet, if you, it, 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 the question remains, how is it that in the midst of all that strife, we were still able to achieve works of such great depth and beauty and and timelessness. Uh, Chris, I've I've enjoyed talking to you so much, man. I, it's it's been a pleasure meeting you. How can people uh, find you and and support you and and uh, what are you up to these days? So I'm I'm not on Facebook anymore for the last two years. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I'm still on Good Instagram. For you. <laughs> and uh, my uh, on Instagram, I'm for your mind, uh, like for your mind, not free your mind. Uh, Chris Ellis, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of like present on Instagram, and uh, and people can reach me on Instagram this way with with pleasure, and I like to interact with people, so don't hesitate. <laughs> <laughs>